you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Titus? It's a New Testament book. If you don't have that, we're going to have the scripture on the screen in just a minute. This is the book that we're looking into, men, on Wednesday nights. We did an overview. Um, today I'm preaching out of chapter 3. Um, but we invite you to come out um, to, to, to join in um, our fellowship and our, and, our, and our attempt to encourage each other to go after the Lord. Last week we heard um, tragic news that there was a shooting. Someone um, with a vantage point high above the concert in Las Vegas used weapons and shot and killed nearly 60 people, leaving us to wonder what is going on in this world. Questions such as what was, what was going on in this shooter's life that caused such hatred or confusion? How was he deceived into doing what he did? And then my thoughts would pass on to the victims and their families wondering, how are they doing? How do they go beyond this? Were they believers? And praying for the families that remain, what would, what would be news that would help them through this time, this trial? Then I think about, what about us? Is there anything that we should do or respond in, uh, or, or live out our faith so that we can work against this, this evil. Isn't that, isn't that what we are to do as followers of Jesus, to, to work against the enemy and acts of hatred, but, but work towards acts of love? Our scripture text this morning and sermon speaks into a relationship that saves and leads us into being vessels that brings the world what it needs. Someone that's kind of famous said this week, and after this, in response to this event, it says, the world needs Jesus to do healing and work and to keep us from these types of things. Let's look at Titus 3, 3 to 8. Scripture says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Let me pause right here and just tell you where this is being spoken to. This is being spoken to, to Titus, a young pastor, who's ministering on an island. The island was called Crete. It was about 35 miles wide by, and 135 miles long. So imagine from here to New York, which is about 100 miles, right, to New York City from here, and 35 miles, which is like Phoenixville to Reading. Take an island that's big, and Christianity has reached the island through Paul's journeys and, and the movement of the church. And there are a bunch of house churches all over the island. And Paul says to them, hey, they've received the good news and there's believers here, but they need, they need some instruction. So I'm giving you these things and things to do within the church. So there was a great, there was a great need for the church to listen to what Titus and, and Paul says because you know, if Titus is traveling over this 135-mile island by 35-mile wide, hitting the house church and then going to a house church somewhere else, he didn't fly, he didn't take a copter, he didn't take a motorcycle, he walked or maybe took a horse, so he wouldn't be back for a while. The importance for them to hear these words at one time, he says to Titus, talking about the church, we were like this. But then he changes gears in verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, 
but because of his mercy. Again, here's repetition. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So I'm going to share with you some excellent and profitable things that we know about God, that we've received from God, and then ask us to apply them from God. The first is that grace has been given. You heard in the text, when the kindness and love of God, our Savior appeared, and He saved us because of His mercy. You've heard the saying that the, 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 the ground at the foot of the cross is what? Level. It's level. There's no special seating for those with college degrees, no first row seating for those with money to buy luxury seats, for those who can juggle three tennis balls and those who can't. There's no distinction there between that. There's no distinction of privilege based upon gender, cultural background, or skin color. The mercy of God to act kindly and lovingly, to divert the punishment that was due us and poured out generously in Jesus Christ. There's no part of this salvific work. There's no part of salvation that's based upon the number of good works that you've done in your life. Isn't that a good thing? Right? Because wouldn't that, if, if it wasn't that way, wouldn't you kind of be thinking, well, I've got to do good today because I'm not sure the things I did yesterday weren't so good. And if I died, I'm not sure which way my scales are tipping. Right? I told the kids in the first service, if, you're, if your passage into heaven was based on how well you listened to your parents yesterday, how would you do? Would you be in or out? All right? This is the truth of what this is saying to us. It's true that those who have left home to serve the orphans and widows in third world countries, just as those incarcerated for crimes that come to Christ, or those who traveled on mission trips, or those who served in the local church, those who convert at the end of their life and those early in their life, they're not saved by works. They're saved by grace of God. The phrase in our text, he saved us. It's a great reminder that salvation is not dependent upon our works. We are saved by faith alone. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul says this clearly, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It's level ground. We come to the cross of Jesus Christ. It's not based upon works. It's based upon our faith in what he has done because it's possible. It's only possible because grace has been given. God has acted. He saved us. Now, I'm reminding you of salvation through grace this morning, not to discourage you, from doing works of kindness and love in the name of Jesus, because it's that very thing which is going to impact the culture and the world. But to, to inspire you and encourage you to remember that this grace is truly amazing. It's unlike what we experience in this world. It was given to us by our Heavenly Father. God's grace is the fountain of our transformation. 
It's what we go to to remember, oh my goodness, God's love for us is great. And to change our thinking and our behavior. God's grace poured out in the sending of Jesus. The life of Jesus and the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus is a clear communication from the one true, living, holy, all-powerful, omnipotent God. And here's the message. I love you. I love you so much, I'll give you my son. His grace does not wear out or dent like our favorite cars. You have a favorite car, right, that you're afraid to let your teenager drive? Hmm. His grace does not wither like anniversary flowers after a week or two. God's grace does not go stale like weak old bread. God's grace is wide. It's long. It's deep. It's high. Who can understand this amazing love of God? God's grace is magnified when we realize it was given to us while we were in rebellion. His grace is clarified when we realize that it is sufficient to pay the debts of all of our sins. Christ died once for the sin of all. His grace is overwhelming when we realize that it is generous, available to renew us over and over again. So I don't think it's possible for us to completely get the handle on God's grace, to understand this God of love who acted and poured it out. But I think it's absolutely necessary for us to think about it and to meditate upon it that this is the God that I serve, the one who has loved me in this way. He saved us from a life that would be void of his touch. If you're following, if you have God, how many have God in their life this morning? All right. What would your life be different if you didn't have the Holy Spirit, God's presence within you, and you're trying to figure out things in the brokenness of this world? Or just going wherever your flesh wants to go. Oh, the, the things that we would get into, the problems. God has saved you from that by calling you to a life that, that is full of joy and peace. But he also saved us from an eternity in hell with unthinkable misery and suffering, separation for eternity from from God. He has saved us from that. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Praise be to God for his grace given to us. This is the first point of the sermon. This is something that you knew that I just want to remind you to think about and to let it be the foundational point of you moving forward. God has given us grace. Got it? It's a life changer. It's a game changer. The second point is grace received. Just talking about the process of us receiving this grace. We've been justified by his grace. We might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. The birthing of faith begins with a declaration of belief. Next week, two girls will stand here in front of me and I'll say, do you believe? And they'll say, I believe publicly. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and I trust Him to be my Savior and my Lord. They'll confess belief. This is the beginning. This is the birthing of faith. It's unwrapping. This is the unwrapping of God's present to us. Examining the life of Jesus and believing in what He did, we receive God's gift of grace when we personally state, I need that. I need that saving. I need a Lord because... 
I get in trouble when, my own, when I'm my own Lord. I want to talk to you about a great exchange that has happened in you receiving God's grace. It's twofold, and each part is extremely powerful for you to understand. To recall so that you can apply grace in your life. There's a great exchange, okay? Jesus is known as the sinless Savior, meaning he lived a perfect life so that he could stand in our place. When you call out, Jesus, I need you to be my Savior, there's an exchange that takes place. He takes all the things that you've done, the sin, the shame, the broken things that you've done of God, and he says, bring those to me. And he takes the lies. He takes the lust. He takes the adultery. He takes the murder. He takes our gossip. The things that in an instant would separate us from a holy God upon himself. Aren't you glad he takes that from us? I'm not sure. Aren't you glad he takes that from us? Jesus takes this from us onto himself. Scripture says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. Isaiah says, he bore our sin and shame. He was crushed for our iniquities and our sins. This is necessary. If this doesn't happen, you can't go into the presence of the almighty, holy God. The other exchange is just as powerful. It's just as power. In this receiving of faith, in our trusting of Jesus as Savior and Lord, He not only takes from us all of our baggage, He gives to us His righteousness. What kind of trade is this? Right? He gives us His imperfection, His perfection into our imperfect lives so that we can go and stand before God and say, He sees the righteousness of Jesus within us. It's a double exchange, double exchange. But this is what happens when grace is received. We can stand before a holy God through Jesus Christ. I believe, Jesus, that you are God's son. I believe that you took on flesh. You fulfilled the law and you poured out your lifeblood for my sins. I humbly and gratefully receive your grace, your righteousness, And the text says, when this happens, you are justified. You are justified before God by his grace. He has saved us and set us free. All praise to God. Are there people in this world that need that change? To need that receiving of grace and say, listen, in God's eyes, you can be right today. You can be justified, a legal term saying there's no legal debt against you because Jesus has paid. That's why scripture says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No condemnation as you received grace. That is good news. Sometimes we need to hear it and remember, I mean, I'm not condemned. Those sins that I committed 5, 10, 15, 25 years ago, Jesus paid for those. I can move beyond those. I am free. Paul tells Titus to tell the church on this island of Crete, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, you can put a box around that in your Bible, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. He's telling, remind the church where they stand in Jesus. 
remind everybody that God has acted in such a way that has placed you in a new place, right? So that you can respond to him. You're justified. You stand forgiven at the cross. You're made right before God, free to live without condemnation. Not just free, but moved into the position of gaining an inheritance that cannot be taken away. The inheritance includes the hope of eternal life. Isn't that something to remember in the face of death in this world? Death has no hold on those who are in Christ. They have an inheritance that Jesus gave to them by bringing them into the kingdom of God. God's grace offers you and me eternal life. There's no other offer, no salesman, no purchase, no upgrade that this world can offer that compares to eternal life. Remember where grace was applied to you. And remember who you are as a recipient of God's love. If you read the entire letter of Titus, you'll understand what Paul was reminding the church that, listen, God has acted and we received it. We believed. We're blessed. And that as grace was received, Paul encouraged them to reflect this new birth through the application of grace. And here's where a big part of our application today comes into. This last part, grace applied. I want to talk to you about two things. First, because of what it says in Titus 3.8, so that those who have trusted God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Part of doing good is to avoid ungodly living. Grace teaches us to live godly lives. If you look at verse 3 again, right, at one time, this, this verse, as I reflected on this and what was happening in the world, in particular with the shootings in Las Vegas, this world describes, this verse describes our struggle and the struggles of the world. But the phrase, at one time, suggests that this was in the past. At one time, we used to be here. Jealousy. Deception. Pursuit of every passion and pleasure that comes across ours. We used to just go with it, right? And we, were, we hated each other. And there was malice and envy. That was at one time, but we're no longer there. We're reborn into new, new, creatures, new creatures, alive to Christ and dead to sin. I don't know if it's true about you or not, but when I read in Scripture, I'm dead to sin, alive to Christ, i got to keep killing sin. It's not a one-time-only thing, right? Addictions keep kind of like tugging at you after a while. It's like, hey, will you come back and try this? You used to live here and camp here and do this. You want to come back? You want to kind of, you know, live this lifestyle that you once did? you got to keep killing that sin over and over again. Anyone else like that? you got to resist temptation. Sin just doesn't go away. Things that are mentioned here can creep back into our lives or die slowly. Remembering this verse and remembering where we were at one time, we know that those things that were in our lives, those things that we did that were foolish and disobedient, were the reasons why Jesus had to die. And for me, if I'm premeditating a sin, hmm, I'm tempted to do this. Temptation has been birthed in my brain. If I remember that this action, this outgoing, this sin, if I carry it into full action, it's the reason why Jesus was pierced on the cross. It gives me pause to say, I don't want to hurt. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that anymore. Grace 
And what he suffered to give us grace teaches us to live godly lives. Jesus didn't die for the healthy. He died for the unhealthy. We're deceived, and children and youth and people are deceived to think that premarital sex is good for us, that an abortion can solve all of our problems. We were and can be deceived to think that lying will get me out of this mess. We can be deceived to think that no one will know about my secret sin and I can still carry on as normal. We can be deceived to think that material possessions will bring us joy and contentment. And all of us can be deceived that thinking that a lifestyle given to the pursuit of things in this world will lead us away from living in a life that brings God glory. What can break the chains that bind us? What can make us love each other with God's grace? Irrelevant of what the person does or acts. That's the goal. It's easy to love people that love you, right? It's hard to love people who really don't deserve it. But that's the example of Christ. What can, what can bring us to there? Where can we find freedom and walk in this new direction with the assurance of a right standing before God and fulfillment and joy in my life that, that I can't seem to find anywhere else? How can I ever be accepted and loved by people when my default is to hate and not trust? How can I be loved by a holy God? It's only through the application of grace in our lives. Only when the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ breaks into our reality and the message of grace is understood and received, can it be applied? Grace given by God, grace received by us through faith, then applied to find freedom in this world. It's unthinkable to me that God would love us while we were still in rebellion. Would any of you do that? You've got a son, a daughter, a child, your most prized possession. You give that to someone who just robbed your house. They just cut you off in traffic. You pull over and say, you know what? I just want to give you everything. I want to give you, my, I want to give you the money, all my money in my wallet. I just want to bless you. <laughs> of course not. We don't live that way. But this is what God did for us. It blows my mind that he would love us when we were unaware of him, didn't care about him, and we were chasing ourselves. But you know what? It says in here, he appeared. The grace of God has appeared. He broke into darkness. He shook the world with his grace. He interrupted the program and said, hold on, I got something more for you. He grounded all the flights. He knocked off the Wi-Fi. He brought a storm of love that changed the world and continues to change the world. One person at a time. Understanding grace, receiving it through faith and letting it apply to their life. Changing individuals for the glory of God. I wrote that on Friday and I was thinking about it and I was listening to some music on, on Pandora. And the song by Ryan Stevenson suggested that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer to find the way. He's saying grace is the way. And it's going to look differently for different people in different situations. Right? He says, to the captive, it looks like freedom. Grace brings freedom. And to the orphan who feels all alone, no home, no love, grace brings them into a loving home. 
For the skeptic, it might sound crazy to believe in a God who loves in a world where our hearts are breaking and we're lost in the mess we've made. Like a blinding light in the dead of night, it's the gospel, the gospel that makes a way. It's grace. But this is the point that I'm trying to make in this here. How many of you have ever been to a Billy Graham um, speaking event? Billy Graham used to travel around the world speaking. He used to end his speaking events with a hymn as an invitation. You know what that hymn is? Just as I am, right? And this is true of us approaching the cross. You come, you come as you are. You come as you are to the cross, no matter what your day looks like, just as I am, without one plea, but that the blood of Christ was shed for me. But here's, here's the point. Once we get there, we say, God loves me so much he gave his son. I understand that God gave me grace. I receive it by faith. I trust in him. When we go from the cross, we're no longer to live just like we want to. We're to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and let his grace teach us how to live godly lives. Listen to Titus 2.12. It, the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. It teaches us. How does grace teach you? How does grace teach us to say, I'm not just going to do everything the world is doing? Well, we look at Jesus and what he did and the example that he did. And what he says is, this is where you'll find life and this is where you'll find death. Grace teaches us to tune into Jesus and to follow him and to live what he did, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Does our world need that from us? Sure. People who are contemplating doing acts of evil need the influence of grace in their life to say, no, God wants you to be a life giver, not a life taker. So I ask me, This morning, and I ask you, is the content and quality of God's grace sufficient to impact your daily living for Jesus Christ? Should it be? Has he loved you well enough to impact your daily thinking? Has he loved you enough to merit your continual response back to him? Will you let God's grace fill your heart and lead you? Think about how you would feel if your greatest outpouring of a sacrificial love through a family member, through someone who knows you, has no lasting impact. The application of grace in our lives, this is the first point, is to keep us from from ungodliness. But that's not the whole impact. That's just part of this. That if we lived like that, that would make a difference in the world. But there's another component of this that I'm so excited to, to, to look into this morning. It says in here that we should be devoted to doing what is good. That's replication of God's grace. I want to encourage you to be a grace dispenser. You think of like a soap dispenser or like they need a little touch of something to make their hands better, right? I want you to think of that. You're going to go out of here today trying to be a grace dispenser where people can just come up around you and and, and be around you and they're going to be like, wow, this person really just treats me not not like what I deserve, but they treat me with love and kindness and goodness. I kind of want to be around them. Like, you know, why why do you treat me like that? You know, why why do you show me love and kindness? And that opens the door for us to tell them about the ultimate grace dispenser, Jesus Christ, right? Think about this. When we give to others in ways that demonstrate grace, we're letting God's grace flow through us. And and Lord knows the world needs this. 
The impact of grace is needed in the world. Love and kindness and goodness. We do this every week. I'm just going to explain to you some of the realities in which we participate in grace giving. We take an offering in both services and we collect that money and we make decisions then as the church body, congregations. Where can we send money to help people experience grace? Right? Sometimes we, re- we react to natural disasters, people that were just devastated. And say, wouldn't it be good to love on them right now? And we send $1,000 here or 500 here, or we send 30 buckets, emergency buckets to clean up. We, we participate in those ways. We also send money to help missionaries and say, we want you, missionary. We're going to give money and pour money through you so that you can just pour out love onto people. And you can be a, a vessel through which God's grace flows, right? Isn't that exciting to participate in that process? You're doing that when you, when you give money to the congregation, to the church, right? We send it out in doing that. But it doesn't take money. We can do this in different ways. One of the ways is through service. Maybe you can let grace flow through you as a pioneer club, four to five-year-old helper in the room and say, I'm just going to go. I'm going to help. I'm going to love on these kids and their parents when they come in. I'm just going to let grace flow through me. We're missing Joanne. You know that? We miss her there. Her void is missed. One of the things in way we practice grace intentionally is our block party, which, which ministers to 100, 200 people in the summer. And we intentionally say, there's no cost to come. The food is given to you free. The games are provided for you free. And we share the free message of the gospel to impact people. On the, on the whole, people love free things, don't they? Don't you like the free food samples when you walk through those big stores? They offer stuff and say, hey, I'll take that. And you just kind of circle around. I'll take some more of that. Right? People love free things, but why wouldn't they? And the world does. They'll respond to our graceful, loving kindness as we put it out there. There's another aspect of grace that I want you to consider this morning. Applying grace in our lives. We're considering this so that we can be a part of God's shaping the world for his goodness, right? We watched a video of a man... um, the session was, how do we deal with hurts and pains in our, back, in our past, whether it's from our moms or dads, right? The, uh, the wounds that come from us, because no parent is perfect. And the man was talking about his uh, stepdad, who abused him physically, emotionally, sexually. He says, I hated him. I grew up hating him. I wanted nothing to do with him. But as he was driving through an area where he believed maybe his dad was, he, he thought God was prompting me to look up dad. He says, I don't know where that came from. It's almost as if I, my thoughts, my desires died and something else was being birthed in me. And he contacted his sister and he found out where his dad was. And, and he was praying and he says, God was telling me that I need to go and say, I forgive you, dad. The things you did were hurtful to me, but I, I forgive you. And he prayed, and he went, and he walked in the next morning, and his dad told him, he says, I know you've been coming, son, because you want me to get right with God, and you don't have to worry anymore, because last night, I made things right with God. And the boy said to his dad, he says, they looked at each other, and he says, Dad, I love you. And he says, boy, I love you too. It was the act of forgiveness that this man then testified The son, he says, the act of forgiveness, me forgiving, 
It set me free. It gave me a freedom to live in a way that I hadn't felt before because all my hatred was tying me up. Applying grace to our lives and being able to forgive people when they, there's, no, there's no rational reason why I should forgive. is the application of grace and God working through us in our lives. If we want to replicate God's actions, our acts of kindness and love, our extension of grace, the motivating factor needs to be love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And this really takes the movement of God within us. It takes us remembering the example of God that he gave us grace when we don't deserve it and that we've received it, and that as we apply it and become like this and try to be like, like Jesus was himself, who hung on the cross and said, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. Ah, how can we forgive? How can we act like that? It's only as we contemplate the great grace of God where we can touch the world with that. But you know what? Shouldn't Christians be the most grace-like people in the world? Shouldn't we be tipping our waitress and waiter even if they spill stuff all over us? I've heard that waitresses and waiters hate Sunday afternoon meals because Christians pour into the restaurants and they're horrible tippers. I'm not going to give them any money because that, you know, they missed my order up with that person. There's no grace there. Shouldn't Christians be the most grace-like people in the world? Paul encourages us to devote themselves to doing what is good. The impact of kindness and love in a world filled with malice and being hatred will be noticed. You all have a story of how you encountered God's grace. You all have a testimony of when you came to understand it and ask for it and how it's been playing out in your life. Some of you were raised, perhaps like I was, in the church from very on, and you heard about God's love for you. Jesus loves the little children. You understand God's grace, and it was not a bizarre thing to know that the creator of the universe loved you, right? We praise God for that. So there wasn't like a big boom moment, but it may have been not until something happened in your life where you intentionally sinned or you did something and you were confronted with the holiness of God or your sin or a health issue where you've kind of say, oh God, I need to know you more. Help me to trust you more, that I can live in your grace. But some of us, some of you came to faith in a much different way, more radical. It's like you were at the end of your rope, and you just kind of fell off into this great big safety net called God's grace, and you said, thank you for catching me, God. Your story is a little bit different, but it's the same. God's grace is there. It's been received. The question is now, church, how will our story testify to our application of God's grace in our lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. You are worthy of our worship this morning. Your grace has shaped me, taken me from who I was, Lord, and continuing to work in me. We, Lord, we still need your grace to shape us and move us. We need your reminders of your grace to, to be reminded that we are loved by you in a passionate way. Help us never to forget it. But, oh, Lord, it goes beyond these walls into our work, into our schools, into our struggles that are outside this place, Lord, where we want to be devoted to doing good. 
and letting your love and kindness flow through us. So, Lord, what can you do here at Coventry? What more do you want us to do, Lord, to show your grace and kindness into this Pottstown community? Lord, we pray that you would do just that. Lead us and guide us into your goodness and love. And then we might be able to stand and say, here, here, Lord. Here am I. Let me go and be an ambassador of your grace. We pray this in Jesus' matchless name. Amen.